Thank you for this uh, wonderful uh, song service we held beforehand. It's, uh, it's really encouraging to sing these hymns of uh, the faith. And uh, it's wonderful. It's wonderful what God is doing in this day and age, isn't it? Well, as you know, they say it helps to have a little bit of humor at the beginning. I'm still wondering whether that's humor or not. Last night, Becky and I watched three DVDs back to back. Fortunately, I was the one facing the TV. And uh, it took a while for some of you on that. Last week I've been reading a book on the history of blue. It's pretty interest, interesting. In fact, I think I'm stuck on the plot. I just can't put it down. And, of course, a num- number of you know that music is a very important part of our, our own life as Christians. Uh, Wally and I are part of another praise team. We, we're still working on our songs, but the, our name for our group but we did discover that we're, there's one name we're not going to pick. That's the cellophanes, because they mostly do rap. And, uh, enough of that. Enough of that. Let's get to the word. <laughs> the, uh, the study that we're looking at this morning, very briefly, is a culmination of our series. And of course, where do, we, where do we discover what the church's primary mission is? For some, church is all about sacrament, incense, ornate costumes. We call them robes, but it's costumes. Um, symbols. And there, 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 are, there are places for that in the family of God, no question about that. Uh, for others, church is about community, interaction, and uh, the life of, of a family. For other churches, uh, church is all about getting it right, doing it in a certain pattern, a certain order, having uh, the T's and the cross and the dotted dots on the I's. What does the Bible say about our primary mission? What does the Word of God have to say about that topic? Because after all, it is the Word, and only the Word of God, that will uh, communicate our priorities. If uh, we drive on the highway, as much as some of us like to speed, we are bound by the Highway Traffic Act. It is the Word for those on the highway. And there's reasons why those... um, Things are put in that traffic act. Well, this isn't legalism, but at the same time, it is principles and truths that uh, the Word of God gives us. And the Lord Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. But he also said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And come unto me, and I will give you rest and my my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So uh, we have to keep it in its contextual concepts. So let's just take a minute to bow our heads and just ask the Lord to bless our time together. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that as we gather together today, we humbly bow before you. Uh, Each one of us is limited in our understanding. We're blinded in some respects by our prejudices and our preconceived notions of what your word actually says. And this is not to suggest I, for one, have, have it all together. Certainly, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is the master teacher. He, the comforter, when he comes, will teach them all things. And so, Lord, we pray that you might teach us of yourself, even this day, that we might come away from this gathering, encouraged in your Son, and instructed in his ways. And we give you our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you remember, we have looked at a series of messages on the topic of evangelism. And so I have the joys of being able to talk about evangelism and the church's uh, mandate. But first of all, we must understand what the word evangelism or the gospel is. And we've talked a little bit about that, but it's really a separation story. Now, we hear every, almost every day of couples who are no longer together, they're separated. That's not talking about that kind of separation. We hear of um, people that get lost. I'm reminded of the story of a pastor who was uh, over in Jerusalem. And he was actually the leader of his group. But somehow he got separated from the group. And so he was at the very back. And he was running to the front. And he says, wait for me, I'm your leader. Well, we can get separated, but the ultimate separation is the separation that happened at the very beginning. In the beginning. That's how I know God loves baseball. No. Um, Genesis chapter 1 says, in the beginning, God. And it's a grand story, a grand story of God's work in this world. In chapter 3, we have the account of sin entering the world. And you'll notice that the writer makes a point of saying that the tree looked good, uh, it was desirable, and she took of the fruit and ate. Lest we may think that Adam is somewhere off, busy, enjoying another part of the garden, she, it says she also gave to her husband with her, and, with her, and he ate. Adam was silent in the entire discussion. But, the, but he willingly disobeyed God, and Eve was deceived, it says in Timothy. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. They sought immediately to clothe themselves, and they took those fig leaves. Now, I had a fig tree, and I don't know how you can clothe yourself with the little leaves of a fig tree. So obviously they were much bigger in those days. And, uh, but they were um, knowing that they were separated from God. So separation from God is, is one of the the key concepts of the gospel. And how did they get redeemed? Well, it's rather interesting in the same chapter. It says, Adam and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. There's redemption right in the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, The Lord was using this uh, redemptive act of substituting the death of another, in this case an animal, And all through the Old Testament, 
That would be the concept. There was a blood sacrifice, God's remedy for sin, death, and separation. And separation there was, because now the Lord God sent him forth, in Genesis 3, 23 and 24, sent him forth from the garden to till the ground, and he drove out the man. And the very act of the gospel necessitates that people need to know they're separated from God. God is opposed to the proud. He will never take a person in any other fashion but on their knees. And if somebody walks in like the scribe and the Pharisee and says, Lo, Lord, I'm so grateful I'm not like that other man. Ah, I'm so thankful that I've been redeemed. And let's not kid ourselves. The churches are full across Canada, on North America, and the world of people who are living on the basis of good works. God is opposed to the proud, and works and pride go right hand in hand. So in Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sins will die. And Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the grand news is that the blood sacrifice happened. It happened in the Old Testament at the first Passover. And I have quoted Exodus 12:13 for you. The blood shall be for you a token upon your houses. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And in the same respect, when the Lord Jesus died for us, he has allowed each one of us to have that messenger of death pass over us. Isaiah 53, verses 3 and 4 says it this way, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so the grand truth of the gospel that we are sharing is that while we were separated from God through sin and through our original being a part of Adam's family, we inherited the gene pool of Adam, sin, rebellion, And thus, we have found a Savior, one who took our place. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so we can say with Paul in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, By grace we have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any should boast. Now, having the doctrine and having the reality of new birth are two different things. Theology does not make salvation. Theology leaves a person with the capacity to understand what is involved, but surrender and faith make salvation. And so, the great gift that we are called to share is put in five different ways. First of all, we're called to, like the Lord Jesus called his disciples to come follow me, we are called to tell others this good news. Come, follow Jesus. 
Be like him. Come read his word. And so it is that we are called to be a disciple makers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It's rather interesting today. I hear of many who would claim to be Christians. And, uh, and yet many are not truly disciples. A disciple is one who follows, who learns, who imitates, who lives with, who has relationship with Jesus. Truly a disciple. Jesus spoke about it as a child as well. Surely I say, unless you are converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. We have such fun with our grandchildren. I'm sure any one of you who have grandchildren, or for that matter, children, know what I'm speaking of. They bring a, a, a smile to your lips. They, they just, they're, they're such a joy. And he says, you need to be converted and become as a child, a little child. He said that, by the way, to Peter. He said it to Peter after Peter had confirmed and stated, you are the Son of God. You are the Christ, the Son of God. See, Matthew 16, 17 is where he makes that, Peter makes that statement. But it's Matthew 18. Jesus says you need still to be converted. What is conversion? Conversion is taking a dead heart and replacing it with a living heart of Jesus. Conversion is taking a dead corpse and saying, rise and walk. And all of a sudden you have the power to leave old sins, old addictions. And for someone to say, I'm still living in total addiction and yet I am a Christian who's been born again, it's a paradox. The Bible never anticipates that to be the case. And so, Jesus spoke of the relationship as being a child, and as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And I know this is a review, but I think it's important if we're going to talk about the gospel as a church, we need to be clear what the gospel is. And he spoke of a relationship with him as radical, like the new birth. No one, no matter how religious one is, likes to be told, it's no good. You need to be totally born again. Nicodemus was told that. Peter later on speaks of it. He got it finally. Finally, after his betrayal of the Lord Jesus and his realization that no amount of following would do it. You see, if you're just following Jesus as a disciple, but you've never been, had the new birth, all you are is an empty casket trying to follow the risen Christ. And so he says, be born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible, the word of God which lives and abides forever. And as Paul experienced in Acts chapter 9, it has a conception date and a due date. Some of us are looking forward to certain dates in this month and future months. We call them the due date. Without pinpointing anyone in particular. The Lord has a due date. Paul said he was conceived many, many, many times or not many times, but in many days previously, but he was born again on that road to Damascus. And how do I know it was there? <laughs> he keeps talking about it. And I love what one of the speakers said earlier. 
If you have nothing else to say, tell about when you were born again. Because you cannot argue with that. And Paul, all through the Acts, he's constantly saying, I was on the road to Damascus. Light came down. I, I heard the voice saying, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Saul, why? And, and so someone says to me, well, I don't have that kind of experience. I never had that kind of experience. I would challenge anyone with a faith that says I never had that experience. But let me assure you, as um, one dear brother said to me, we were having a long discussion about, well, what about those people who have had childhood uh, experiences and they've distrusted Christ as a child, a young child? And uh, what about those people? And now they're, they're fervent. They're on fire for God. They're, they're, they're going on. He said, well, he says, you never have to say too much about that. You can talk about dates on a, on a tombstone, but what you really want is life. And it's not, a, it's not essential that you have the date on which you were born again, but you need to have a new life. You need to have, be sure that you have the life of Jesus in you. And I like what one speaker was saying uh, recently as we were watching about this gentleman who said, uh, you know, Except the Lord is a four-year-old. You know, how much does a four-year-old know about eternal life? And how much does a four-year-old know about salvation in heaven? Not a great deal. How much do they know about what it means to follow and surrender and give yourself completely to Jesus? Not a lot. They just as a little child. But if there isn't that subsequent surrender, subsequent movement of the whole heart, then you have a right to challenge. Paul said to the Corinthians, test yourself. Are you really in the faith? You see, we have a motto over in the front of our, our church. It says, the mission field begins out here. I'm sorry, guys, but I don't go along with that motto. I believe it goes both ways. It also goes in here. Because over the years, there's been plenty of people who've sat where you sat, and they deny the faith right now. The mission field is in here and out there. It's both ways. And we ought to be, first and foremost, remembering to preach the gospel in every message that comes out of this pulpit. Because woe to me if I, as a believer, am talking about Ecclesiastes, and you know, the writer Solomon says, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, and uh, what has been done will be done. And he goes on and on, and all is vanity. And woe to me if I'm preaching on Ecclesiastes, and I don't say, but it is not vanity. In Jesus, he, life is worthwhile. Life makes sense. Life has meaning and purpose. And so I would encourage all of us who preach the word, ensure first and foremost that we preach the gospel here. I remember going to a college who was great for its philosophy about preaching the total word of God. And I agreed with that. And the philosophy said, and you know, if you don't preach the gospel, that's okay because you still have to plant seed. And there's a certain element of truth to that. But unfortunately, when we stop preaching the gospel in our messages, even here, what happens is the answer to the separation from sin and the deliverance from the power of death disappears. And so it becomes just works again. And so Paul needed to learn that he was indeed needing to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's why he said to the Corinthians, 
If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. While the relationship with Jesus is described as a fruitful tree, reminds me that I've got to constantly be trying with God's help to bring forth genuine fruit that lasts. Not the thorns, not the thistles, not the dead wood that's just fit for the fire, but in fact, a fruitful tree. A tree that people look at and say, oh, that's, <laughs> that's so yummy. I want something from that tree. Do people come up to you and say, you know what? Your smile, your joy, your happiness, it attracts me to something. What have you got that I don't have? Because honestly, if that's not happening in our interactions with unbelievers, what are they seeing? Maybe a lemon tree? It's also to be a new house, a new temple. We are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in us. And because the Spirit of God resides in us, we are different. Now, having said all this, what must it do to have a relationship with God? Believe on him whom he has sent. And someone says, well, I do believe. I do. Jesus was constantly challenging people who said that with, do you really? Okay. The birds of the air have nests. The foxes have holes. The Son of Man has no place to lay. Are you prepared to give up your home? I ask you, are you prepared to give up your home for Jesus? I ask myself that question. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Wow, that's a powerful verse. For with the heart one believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. So when we talk about mission, we, as our church's mission, we have to be clear what the gospel really is. The gospel is not about making the world a better place. I know, we want it to be a better place. Ain't going to happen. But it'll have better hearts within the place that is here. And the gospel is going to go forward. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And so this is a success story we're talking about. The little band of 12, those little 11 cowards, which we would be like, somehow had a transformation in their lives. We sang a hymn earlier, and I'm going to challenge us on that hymn. And it goes something like this. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Now you sang that this morning if you were singing the hymns and it's a good choice. I love that hymn. Do we really want a thousand people in here? I mean, literally, that's what the hymn writer was saying. I want 1,000 people to come to faith in Christ. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. We only have seating for 200. There'd be a lot of changes if we had a thousand people suddenly showed up one morning. There'd be a lot of changes in everything. The nursery, oh, 
That would be overcrowded. The Sunday school classes, look, if we're going to get serious about winning the world for Jesus, we're going to have to be serious about doing a lot more and sacrificing a lot more financially, time, and our own little comfort zones. Because honestly, we have what I call, I'm speaking to myself mostly here too, we have what's called comfortable Christianity. Where we do it, we, we live out the life, but if it gets a little too uncomfortable, nah, not so, Lord. Now I'm speaking to myself here, so you, you can take it if the shoe fits. He said, go out into all the world and make disciples. Our world starts first, because Acts one eight says, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Our Jerusalem is right here in South Porcupine, Timmins. Our Judea is the surrounding area. Our Samaria is the surrounding north. The uttermost parts for us would be beyond, I would say, beyond northern Ontario. Now, that's my understanding of it, but I mean, you may have a different view on that. The point is, we start right here where we are. Why? Because he has given us authority. All authority has been given in heaven and on earth. He is Lord of all, and because he is Lord of all, we can go forward for him. That's the verse we had already quoted. But what did he say to the man who had been demon-possessed in Mark 5? He said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Go home. Uh Uh-oh. You know, it's easy for a person to say, I've been called as a missionary to Zimbabwe or called as a missionary to Zaire or called as a missionary to Africa someplace, China, India, whatever. And we're not even winning our children for Jesus. We're not even winning our brothers and sisters for Jesus. We're not even winning our moms and dads for Jesus. You know, he says go home and tell them what great things he's done. If we will but weep and pray before the Lord, he has said he will answer us. Those that go forth weeping will doubtless come again bringing in the sheaves. And so, this is a, the, the pattern. First Timothy 5.8 says, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, Timothy was being told, this is a principle, take care, every individual family has a responsibility to take care of their own family. And what is the greatest thing that we can give to our family? the Lord Jesus. That's in, incorrect to call him a thing. He is the living God. But the greatest one that we can transmit. And how do we do that? By the word of God. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so, as we go forward, we must remember that there's a pattern. I love what uh, Joe was sharing this morning at the Breaking of Bread, that 700 New Testaments were given out over the past festival. And uh, numerous witnesses were going on too. I'm sure some of you were having opportunities to share. And as I was going to the fireworks last night, guess who I saw? The guys with the straight ties and the suits and the Bibles and the little lapel. It says elder. And uh, they were off. 
And you know, they were, and I thought to myself, oh my, I don't even have an extra New Testament with me. If I get a run into somebody and have a chance to witness to them, I don't even have a New Testament to give away. So what was shared by, I think it was Jim, be ready always. Unfortunately, that was what last night I was not ready. I'm trying to remember to keep a, a little pocket New Testament in the back of my someplace and have it ready so that if somebody should express an interest that leads to a conversation about Jesus, there's an opportunity to pass it on. You know, we can't tell them the whole truth, but they can read. They can read the Word of God. And so I would encourage each one of us in our daily walk to have something with us so that we can share and at least plant the seed. And then someone else will come along and water it, but God will give the increase. Evangelism at BFA, where does it start? Well, we already mentioned sermons, worship, music, Bible studies. The question we should be always asking, where is the gospel? An old man was once sharing from the pulpit. He said, you know, as a young boy, he was uh, struggling as a preacher, and so this is not co- uncommon. And he, uh, he shared the message was uh, an Old Testament passage he'd been assigned, and he shared the passage, and I come up to him afterwards. He said, it was well done. You really got a lot of good gleanings there from that passage. But he says, where was Christ? Where was Jesus? And the young man said, well, he wasn't there. That wasn't part of the passage. He says, I would have put him there. Because he is there. He's always there. He is the word. Sunday school teaching. If we're teaching in Sunday school and we're not teaching the gospel, are we just teaching stories about Noah and Moses and Abraham? All good stories. But if they, they must lead to the gospel. The children must be taught that they too are brought to faith in Christ. The Kids Club, Evangelism, Youth, Harmony House. Why is Harmony House there? Is it just there to sell books? Well, it's there to help Christian community but its ultimate goal is to win people to Jesus. And then, of course, funerals, weddings. I don't know about the others who do, do the, the wedding thing because I can't speak for them, but um, I believe it's a mandate to present, at least in some small fashion, uh, the message of the good news of Jesus Christ in a wedding. I mean... I mean, Paul uses it in Ephesians 5 when he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And he talks about the union of man and woman. These two shall be one. And this is the good news of a marriage, but it's the good news of the gospel, that he is one with us, and he has won us to himself. And we are his bride, and we are his, uh, you know, you, you, I love those, uh, those ads where the, uh, the uh, I think it's one of the, I'm not going to say which company, but one of the, the men's suits company. While everybody else is looking at the bride, she's looking at your suit. <laughs> well, she's not looking at your suit. She's looking at your eyes, right? <laughs> but, but anyways, um, I love that passage because we are to be looking unto Jesus. And if we're looking to him, we're going to have the concept that it's all about the gospel. But it's going to require work. It's going to require effort. It's going to cost us financially. It's going to cost us in time. And 
How else? Well, as we've already said, there's other ways that we can use. Northland Bible Camp. You know, it used to be from this church that we would sponsor families and uh, send children. And individuals would, either through their giving at the church or through individual, would say, oh, you know, I want that family to go to Northland Bible Camp to hear the gospel. Youth for Christ Timmons, wonderful expression to minister to the youth. The food bank. The food bank isn't just about giving out food. It's also about the gospel. The Good Samaritan Inn. The One Voice outreaches and movie outreaches. Those are just some of the things. And then, of course, there are workers who are working in the north, missionaries who are from the north. These are the, traditionally the way we've operated here at PFA. Missionaries to, to other languages and other lands. And missions, schools, hospitals, and other support levels like missionary aviation um, you know, mechanics who are working for the Lord in an in a aviation ministry. And so, in the Second World War, this was a, a poster that was put out encouraging people to give blood. It said, your blood can save him. And uh, encouraging, you know, it made sense. A lot of people were in need of blood. But uh, in some ways, your efforts can make a difference but it's his blood. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, Ephesians 1, 7. So as we conclude this morning, I would encourage each one of us to, with fresh resolve, to say, if we have not yet, I surrender all. And if we have said that, then a practical way, say before the Lord, Lord, I've said that, but maybe I've been withholding in this area of my life or in that area of my life. And I'm speaking to myself in that area because no one of us has achieved that sense of holiness or sanctification as of yet. Paul himself could say, I have not attained it yet. And, every, and I love what the, the, John Newton uh, was, was being interviewed. I think it was Wilberforce. And uh, he came to him and he, said, uh, I once was blind and now I see. Did I write that? So John Newton said to Wilbur, he said, yes, you did. He says, well, I guess now it's happening. He was blind, by the way, at that point in time in his life. He had he'd become blind through his years in prison and other experiences. And so um, he was... Uh, he was uh, ending his... It was the end of his life. And almost to the point of losing his mind, and he still had that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we move forward as a church and as a people of God, may we do so remembering again, to him belongs all the glory. It's not about me, it's not about the elders, it's not about the deacons, it's not about the building, it's about Jesus. To him belongs all the glory. May he multiply us in Christ so that many who are lost and dying in this community will come to faith in him. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning as we've been challenged afresh to make missions our our desire, our practical uh, application of all of that we've been hearing through these past few weeks. Lord, may the Lord Jesus be so close to each one of us that we will, uh, just as it were, fall on our face and say, Lord, What would you have me to do? 
And Lord, we thank you that you have brought us into this family for a reason. We thank you for each family member that uh, desires to please you. We pray that as we go forth, we may go forth with the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we thank you that as we go forth, we go forth in your might and in your power. Lord, we pray that you will bless each and every effort on this day as we interact with our friends and society, family, as we go our separate ways. Lord, bless us and help us to be a blessing. Uh, Take us home safely to the end that you might receive all the glory and praise. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.